0: Boy, were we glad we decided to go to Wyoming. Wyoming. The
1: Outline, World Dispatch.
2: It's Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries, today on The Dispatch. John Christian is with us to talk about robots with ethics.
1: Um, This AI, for example, would rather kill a homeless person than a non-homeless person. It would rather kill a criminal than a non-criminal.
0: And Anne Derek gayot muses on Autumn. The days are cooling off. The beverages are heating up. Layering is a must. Here's the dispatch. The future.
2: Computers are increasingly making decisions without direct human input. But how do you teach a machine to make ethical choices? One strategy researchers are experimenting with is called coherent extrapolated volition. That basically means crunching millions of human survey responses to ethical questions. The most obvious application for this is self-driving cars, where life or death situations could be common. John Christian wrote about one of these experiments, a project at MIT that looked at scenarios that might be faced by these cars. John, thanks so much for being here. Any day. So what is the moral machine?
1: The moral machine, well, the background is One of the most interesting challenges in artificial intelligence research right now is creating a a so-called ethical AI that would be able to evaluate a moral dilemma and offer the sort of ethical solution that a human being might offer up. So last year, some MIT researchers put up a website called The Moral Machine. And if you pull it up on your computer right now, it'll show you all these grisly hypothetical situations that a driverless car could come across if its brakes failed while it was speeding toward a crosswalk. Like it might ask whether you should choose to run over two joggers instead of one pregnant woman or two puppies instead of three kittens or uh, just horrible questions like that. And in every case, it'll ask you to cast your vote.
2: And the idea here is not that the self-driving car or whatever AI will encounter this exact situation in the real world, but rather that it will add up all of these responses, process them, find patterns and then be able to extrapolate those patterns to new scenarios that it would see in the real world. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that gets into the strength of machine learning. They basically collected a whole bunch of data and really a huge and unique cache of data about human moral intuitions, millions of votes. But then they were able to use that to create an artificial intelligence that can extrapolate even to situations that, that, like you said, didn't appear in the data set. And that gets into some really, really tricky ethical questions. Like what? Um, one is, um, is sample bias. It absolutely matters who you're polling and whether the sample is representative of the broader population. It's also possible that different algorithms could look at the same data and reach different conclusions, um, and and I think the may, maybe the the really tricky problem is um, when you look for for consensus in a large crowd of people, it's possible that some of the answers will be will be ugly. Um, this AI, for example, would rather kill a homeless person than a non-homeless person. It would rather kill a criminal than a non-criminal. It would even rather kill an overweight person than a person who wasn't overweight. And I think we should probably uh, you know experts are saying we should probably think long and hard before we we start to deploy systems like this in 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 real situations where you know lives could actually be at stake, like with a with a self-driving car.
2: Now, wait a second. If you are trying to make an AI that will mimic a decision that a human would make behind the wheel, a human's not going to know if someone is a criminal.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, and to be fair, I think a fair critique of this type of research, and maybe even giving it um, giving it ink in the media, is that these sort of these these. Um, trolley problem types of situations where uh, a car is speeding toward a, a crosswalk and it absolutely has to kill somebody, um, you know, it's, it's highly unlikely. It's, and, um, and it also assumes, the moral machine in particular assumes sort of perfect information where the car um, somehow is able to look up the faces of the, of the people it might hit and, and evaluate their lives and their biographies and make some kind of um, advanced decision.
2: Would it theoretically be possible for a car to customize if it, its ethics system according to the driver? So your your car gets to know you and knows what choice you would make in that situation, and then replicates
1: it. That's a a really intriguing possibility, and it it, it um, people have started to explore that. There's one idea that your car should have what they call a quote ethical knob, which would allow you to control, um, how selfless it'll be in different circumstances. Like maybe your kids are in the backseat, you'll decide that it should protect the occupants of the car at all costs. But if you're driving alone, um, and, and you're, you're feeling selfless, you should, um, you, it should do, uh, do everything possible to protect pedestrians or people in other cars. And I think that's a really interesting, um, possibility as well. Uh, some people, in- including um, some of the researchers who worked on this moral machine thing that, uh, store uh, research, um, have, su- have suggested sort of the opposite, that maybe the most important thing is to going to be to make sure that all self-driving cars, no matter the manufacturer, are all using essentially the same algorithms to make these types of decisions. I don't know. There's a lot of complicated, unanswered questions here.
2: I think that's part of what makes the self-driving car system supposedly safer is that the cars can all predict what the other cars will do true. You mentioned in the story that there are other ethical scenarios that aren't as obvious as the autonomous car loses control and is facing a choice of who to kill. What other questions are there that are ethical questions that a car might be able to make for itself?
1: There's a a professor at Cornell Law School named James Grimmelman who addressed that exact question um and he he pointed out that yeah this is a really really narrow selection of cases we're looking at and probably other decisions that the ai makes all the time um will make a a, a much bigger impact and you know that could be things like deciding exactly how defensively to drive um on, uh, under normal circumstances and it could also sort of get into big meta questions like should should the AI that runs a self-driving car decide to drive um, one mile per hour more slowly on the highway to save fossil fuels and and in ag- have this huge aggregate net um, positive effect on the environment? And in a sense, I think he's absolutely right. I think those are probably the questions that that would save um, many more lives um, in 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 the big picture. So they're probably those are also those are very important questions to be asking as we develop this tech.
2: John Christian is a contributing writer to The Outline. John, thanks for being here.
1: All right, thank you.
0: Culture. It took more than a week of breathing in crisp autumn air before I realized that I was free. No more pressure to get out into the world and do Snapchat-worthy, sun-drenched activities, no more stifling heat holding me hostage. My liberation came in the form of a fleece sweatshirt, slippers, and a hot mug of coffee. Autumn is back, and with it comes a return to a state of averageness. But from where I was sitting, boring was exactly where I wanted to be. For those among us who rarely leave the house, the changing of the seasons can be tracked through hashtags. As the weather across the country gets chillier and the days get shorter, Perennial favorites like hashtag cozy, hashtag PSL, and hashtag sweater are creeping into our feeds. It's easy enough to roll your eyes at them, but I welcome this dullness with open arms and a grateful heart. At last, we've arrived at the season in which we are all given license to be unremarkable. In summer, everyone is expected to be extraordinary. Teens have to get internships, play elite sports, and even attend more school or risk being labeled lazy. Adults have to work as usual, but there's also pressure to pack in relaxing or adventurous vacations and enjoy non-working hours in the much-celebrated summer weather. Enter fall. The days are cooling off, the beverages are heating up, layering is a must, and spending time outside is a luxurious choice, not an expectation. It's when everyone's introvert side has a time to shine, as the season seems to be made for spending time with yourself. Socially, autumn is when most of us can embrace being alone. It's the perfect middle ground between the longing for solitude that comes with the end of a busy summer and the tenuous acceptance of it that comes with the onset of winter. Beloved fall activities, like walking through crunchy leaves and sipping hot cider, are egalitarian. Get-togethers with friends have more space for the kind of intimacy that comes with gathering indoors and staying in one spot together. Instagrams of trees and pies are tolerated, liked even, Our attentions turn to insulating our bodies, warming our homes, and preparing ourselves for the hard mental and physical endurance that winter demands. Altogether, autumn doesn't ask much of us—physically, socially, or sartorially. So enjoy it while it lasts, because soon, it'll be gone forever. Scientists have long warned that climate change is making autumn, and also spring, slowly disappear. The sad truth is that even for us millennials, autumn days today don't match the crisp, chilly ones of our youth. The autumn we have today, with all of its opportunities to be regular, is all we've got. And while scientists know that spring gets shorter by 30 seconds every year, comparable data isn't available for autumn. So while the pressure is often on to savor summer as much as you can before it ends, I'd say endeavor to savor fall and all its gifts instead. Our future promises nothing but long, hot summers and extreme weather events at any time of year. Who will have the time to be boring and unremarkable then?
2: And Derek Gallo is a staff writer at The Outline. And so ends another episode of The Dispatch. We're here every Monday through Thursday. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review in Apple Podcasts? That'd be great. Thanks for listening. We'll return tomorrow.